0: back as we begin a new week on the Ask Pastor John podcast. Thanks for making us a part of your daily routine. Kelly writes in to ask about spiritual leadership in the home. She writes this, hello Pastor John, my husband and I are still in the beginning stages of our marriage. Both of us were raised in a Christian home. Unfortunately, both of us had fathers who failed to lead the family spiritually. Our mothers did that job. Now I desire my husband to lead our home spiritually, but we both don't know what that looks like. Does he lead in prayer with me daily? Does he read the Word with me daily? What did this look like for you, Pastor John?
1: Well, my first thought is, I wonder why Kelly wrote to us instead of her husband. I I hope it's because they agreed they both wanted to ask— and they agreed it was just simpler for her to write in. That's fine. I hope it's not because he's dragging his feet and she's having to pull him along. So my first suggestion is that she go get her husband right now. Turn this off, go get him, and listen to this together rather than uh, her becoming the mediator here and, and turning it into something he may not like. Um let's put one passage of scripture at least in front of us so that the assumption isn't taken for granted. Ephesians five twenty one submit to one another, husbands and wives, uh, out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So, the picture we have is that in loving each other and serving each other and submitting to each other's needs and longings in a kind of loving and humble mutuality, the wife takes her cues from the church as the church is called to follow Christ as its leader. And the husband takes his cues from Christ as the head of the church who gave himself up for her. One of the reasons this whole issue of headship and submission in marriage matters is that God intended for marriage to represent the covenant love between Christ and his bride, the church. That's what we are trying to flesh out when we're working on this matter of headship and submission. There are differences and there are similarities between the relationship between the wife and the husband on the one hand and the relationship between Christ and the church on the other. And both the similarities and the differences shape the way we flesh out this drama of Christ and the church. For example, one similarity is that Christ wants the submission of the church to be free and joyful with a full understanding of who he is and what he stands for and why he's doing what he's doing. Christ does not want slavish obedience or joyless compliance or mindless submissiveness from the church. He wants his church to be full of intelligence and understanding and wisdom and joy and freedom when she follows him. Without this, her following, the church's following, would not glorify the Lord Jesus. Mindless submission does not glorify a leader. Similarly, a good husband does not want slavish obedience or joyless compliance or mindless submissiveness. He wants his wife to be full, full of intelligence and understanding and wisdom and joy and freedom when she commits herself to follow him. So that's an example of similarity affecting how we do it. Here's an example of difference between a, a husband and a wife on the one hand and Christ in the church on the other hand that affects uh, how, how the marriage works. Husbands, human husbands, are fallible and sinful, and Christ is not. Therefore, you can never draw a straight line from the way Christ leads his church to the way the husband leads his wife without taking into account this distinction, this difference. His finiteness and his sin have to come into the picture. Another difference that makes a difference, another difference that, that shapes how we go about this, is, is that uh, both the husband and the wife are submitted to the Lord Jesus as their supreme Lord. And Jesus is her direct Lord, not her indirect Lord, only through the husband. The teaching of the New Testament, and you, you can see this in 1 uh, Peter chapter 2, Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, is that Christians, male and female, first relate to the Lord Jesus as their supreme master, and then, for the Lord's sake, as it says— In obedience to to the Lord, we enter back in, we are sent back in to the institutions of the world, like marriage, in relationships that God assigns to us, and we act then in those relationships of submission freely because our supreme and primary Lord has said to. So the submission, therefore, that a woman offers to her husband is done so freely at the bidding of her Lord, Jesus. So those two differences between our marriages and Christ's marriage imply that the husband will not presume that his will is infallible and that his wife is less wise or intelligent or insightful than he is. Jesus is always wiser than the church. Husbands are not always wiser than their wives. It also means, those those differences mean that a mature Christian husband will not express his leadership with childish, proud, bullying, or one-sided decision-making, but will always seek, seek out both uh, the wisdom and the desires of his wife. This is what good, fallen, fallible, yet Christ-like leadership does. Another way to talk about this same reality is to point out that the roles of leadership and submission in the marriage are not based on competence. God never said that the man is appointed to be head because he's more competent, or that the woman is appointed to submission because she's less competent. Competence is not the issue in whether a man is head and a woman is submitting. Competence plays a role in how they exercise the roles of leadership and submission, but not who the roles belong to. So the way I define a husband's leadership or headship, as God wills it, is a sense of benevolent responsibility to lead, to protect, and to provide for his Wife. And the key word there is a sense of benevolent responsibility. He may have a disability, for example, that keeps him from being the breadwinner. But that disability does not keep him from feeling a benevolent responsibility that the family's needs are met. And that sense of responsibility will move him to take initiatives with his wife and children to see to it that the family is cared for. That's the main issue, a sense of responsibility that the, that moves the man to take initiatives in the family so that God's will is done as much as possible by every member of the family. So here's some examples. And, and keep in mind that when, when I say he feels a special responsibility for initiatives in the family, he's not, uh, ruling out the fact that his wife may have important initiatives to bring to the discussion because of his blind spots and his fallibility and and her wisdom and her perceptivity— so the point is, she ought to ha- she she ought not to have to feel that she's constantly doing the initiating, prodding to get this man to talk about things that need to be talked about and plan things that need to be planned, do things that need to be done. So here come some of the kind of things uh, where I think a husband should be taking active initiative. What is the overall moral vision of the family? He should take initiative in asking that question and pursuing an answer with his wife at his side. What what do we believe about God and the world and family and culture? All families stand for something. All families are known for something. All families are, are called to glorify God according to their gifts. What does that look like? And that's the man's responsibility. Pursue that. Figure that out. A man feels responsibility to take initiatives to form and carry through that moral vision of the family. And of course, he's doing it through the constant interaction with his wife. She would not be thrilled to be left out of that formulation. But I think most Christian women are thrilled that the husband is taking the initiative and drawing her in to see to it that they have such a moral vision for the family. And, and this would include... Initiatives like, uh, let's clarify the expectations we have for our children and how they'll be disciplined and then how um, my leadership will relate to the discipline and your leadership as the mother will relate to their discipline and how they're going to spend their leisure and so on. It includes things like taking initiatives in deciding on where the family goes to church and how they participate and whether they get there or not. It includes things like uh, ministries, what the family's doing in ministry and how they're involved together in the neighborhood and missions. It includes things like taking initiatives with lifestyle issues for the family, like what are we going to do with social media and television and entertainment and leisure and sports and vacations. Every family has to make hundreds and hundreds of decisions about these things, and one of the things that depresses a wife is when a lackadaisical husband never thinks about what needs to be done and has to be constantly prodded to figure things out. She wants Of course to have input. She's probably got more insight on a lot of these things than he does, but she wants him to take initiative. We need to think about these things. He he needs to say, let's sit down, let's talk, let's pray. She wants him to do that. It includes things like finances and how the family spends its money and and uh, what they're gonna save for and what kind of insurance they're gonna have and retirement plans and pensions and the whole financial vision of the family including how much they give to the church and all these things, the husband should feel a special responsibility to take initiatives to work it out with his wife constantly being drawn in to that initiative. She's going to have superior wisdom on many of these things, but she longs for a husband to take initiative to put the process in motion by which these things can be worked out and problems can be be solved and plans can be made. Finally, um, perhaps most important, yes, the husband should feel a special responsibility to lead the family in a pattern of prayer and Bible reading and worship. And here again, the issue is not competency. He may have an eighth grade education and his wife may have a college degree. He can still take initiatives to see that the family is a prayer-saturated, Bible-saturated family by working it out with his wife, how she uses her gifts, which may exceed his own in Bible reading, and Bible explaining. So I hope those few examples give a taste of what it means for a husband and a wife to model Christ and the church for a very needy world who needs so badly to see it.
0: Yeah, amen. What a high calling for men, a beautiful calling of laying down our lives. Thank you, Pastor John, and thanks for the question, Kelly. Tomorrow we return to the theme of affirmation and praising others, Uh, specifically to the situation when we cannot genuinely accept affirmation from others because we assume that their praise is a means to get something from us. How do we kill the sin of habitually being suspicious of the motives of others? That's tomorrow. For more information about this podcast or to find our most recent or our most popular episodes, go to our online home at DesiringGod.org forward slash Ask Pastor John. I'm your host, Tony Reinke. Thanks for listening to the Ask Pastor John podcast with John Piper.